If you brought your Bible with you this morning, open with me to the book of Luke chapter 8. We have been in a series together for the last eight or nine weeks now that I've been calling Guarding the Heart. And our foundation for this has been in the book of Proverbs chapter 4. While you look for Luke 8, we'll put this on the screen for you. But let me just remind you what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4 in verse 20. Proverbs 4.20 says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they, talking about his words, are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. It's astounding to me that this was a conversation between a father and a son But yet it's the spirit of God speaking through this father to his son. And God chose to make this man's words his own words. These are God's words. So it's more than just a parental talk. It's more than just a a, a lecture. I don't know how Solomon's son was taking it at the time. I know how I took some lectures I was given as a young man. But... All these thousands of years later, we see these are God's words, and this is him, our father, speaking to us, his children. And he's saying the same thing to us. My son, my daughter, pay attention. Give attention to my words. Give attention to my words, he said. And I believe the Lord's saying to us, look, I know there's a lot of other words you could be listening to. I know there are a lot of other voices that are begging for your attention but pay attention to mine. Incline your ear to mine. He said, don't let them, don't let my words depart from your eyes. Keep them, keep my words. There's that word we've been looking at, keep it. Keep them in the midst or in the middle of your heart for they, my words, are life to those who find them. You realize what a small group of people that actually is? God's words are life, yes, but they're not everybody's life. His words, all you have to do is look around and you can tell, are not bringing life to everybody. His words are bringing life to this very small group of people, those who find them. And finding is just simply the result of seeking, prioritizing, searching, going after his words. And if you will seek his words, you will find them and they'll be life to you. They will be health to your flesh. Health, Uh, you look it up, it literally means medicine. His words are medicine, but they're not everybody's medicine. You can tell. Who who are the ones that are being affected by God's words like medicine affects a body? It's those that incline their ear to it. Those who keep them in front of their eyes. Those who keep his words in their heart. They're the ones who are being ministered to by the word. They're the ones who are getting life and health and medicine to all their flesh. And then he said to him in verse 23, keep your heart. Keep your heart with all all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. The New Living Translation says, guard your heart. So when he told him to keep it, this is what he was saying, guard it. That's what the word keep literally means, to guard it. Set up a guard over your heart. Guard your heart above all else. In other words, more than anything else you guard, guard that heart. More than any other system of protection that you set up over your physical well-being, over your health, over your mental well-being, guard the heart. There's so much talk right now in the world we live in about your mental health and mental health awareness. Have you been hearing this so much? And everybody's got a story right now about mental health. And it's this great priority put on your mental health. But listen to me. If you'll guard your heart your mental health will be just fine. If you'll guard your heart, if you'll guard your heart, it'll protect this physical body. Do you realize that so much sickness and so many diseases that people deal with are actually heart issues? They're heart, they're things that have gotten into the heart and taken root and produced actual physical sickness and disease. And this is what the Lord's been dealing with us about for eight or nine weeks now. And I can sense that we're kind of coming to the stopping point in this here over the next week or so. 
But one of the things you need to make note of and realize, particularly if you've been, if things have just been hanging around for a long time, if it's been something that's been ongoing, either a, a, a pain or a sickness or a lack, a shortage of any kind, and it just seems like it's not being fixed, it's, it's not going away, go back to the heart. Get honest before the Lord. Father, is there something going on in my heart? Is there a heart root issue to this that needs to be addressed? And so often, so much of the time there is. That's why we've got to protect the heart. Guard the heart more than you guard anything else. Guard your heart because it determines the course of your life. If my heart is determining the course of my life, I don't want anything in it that would take me in the wrong direction. This is why we must protect it. Somebody say, my heart, my heart. is worth protection. It's worth protecting. The uh, Young's, literal Young's literal translation said, above every charge, keep thy heart, for out of it are the outgoings of life. And finally, the God's word translation says it like this, guard your heart more than anything else because the source of your life flows from it. These things are so foundational. These things are some of the most basic things that you and I need to have and to know when it comes to living and walking by faith. So much of it is heart issue. And we've made a big deal, and, and rightly so, out of, out of making the right confession. We talked all about sowing seeds. All of these things are important. There are things that have become so ingrained in what many call the message of faith. But listen to me. If the heart's not right, none of this practicality, none of the speaking, none of the sowing, none of it's going to produce anything if there, are, if there are things going on in the heart that are keeping it from working. I hope I'm saying this the right way. All I'm trying to get across to you is get back to the heart. Go back to the heart and find out what's going on there. Protect it. And we've been looking in the book of Luke chapter 8. We've looked at Matthew 13, Mark chapter 4. This is the parable of the sower. So go back to Luke 8 with me. Jesus told this parable, and without taking time to go back through all of it, I encourage you to, to spend some time studying it for yourself because there are master keys in this parable that unlock so many truths throughout the Word of God. And this crowd had gathered to hear Jesus, and he began to speak to them in parables, saying, Behold, or look, a sower went out to sow. And he began to talk about the seed that fell on all these kinds of ground. He said, some seed fell on the wayside ground and the birds came and devoured it. He said, some seed fell on stony ground. He said, it sprang up immediately, but because it had no depth of earth, it didn't take root. When the sun was up, it scorched it and immediately it withered away. Then he talked about thorny ground. Some seed fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and it choked it and it was unfruitful. And like we've already said for weeks on in here, if you were to stop right there, you might think, man, there's something wrong with this seed, right? I mean, it's not producing. If you don't know anything about ground and you don't know anything uh, about what, what the ground is dependent upon to, to do and reproduce, then you might just think something's wrong with this seed. But the moment this seed, Jesus said, fell on good ground and produced a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, that's the moment you know there's nothing wrong with the seed, right? So then his disciples pulled him aside and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And that's when Jesus said, look, if you don't understand this one, how then will you understand any of them? And that's why I say to you, there are master keys in what Jesus just said. And it's so simple. He said, the sower sows the word. So the seed he was talking about was the word of God. And right then that ought to tell you nothing wrong with this seed, nothing wrong with the seed. And God in, in designing the earth and creating the earth, this is the system he put in place and everything, whether you're talking spiritual or natural operates on this system right here, seed. Seeds that get sown, seeds that take root, and seeds that produce. Everything works by the seed. And we know this in the natural, that every seed reproduces after its own kind. So whatever you sow within that little seed, 
is the potential to produce and produce more and more and more of it. Well, the same thing's true spiritually. You and I are born again by an incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. So everything the word has within it, has, it has the potential to produce all of that in your life. The seed has the potential to produce salvation. It has the potential to produce your joy and your peace. And it has the potential to produce healing and abundance of every kind. That, all of that is in the seed, which leaves people going, okay, yes, amen, I believe that. But why ain't it working in my life? Where it's at? Where's the fruit? I'm ready for some of it. Well, you know by now, nothing wrong with the seed. So if there's nothing wrong with the seed, where do you have to go? Go look at the ground. And Jesus began to explain, here's why it's not working. Here's why it's not producing. And I wish people would just look to this because there's so many, too many frustrated Christians going, it's not working. It's not working. Why isn't this working? It's not working. It's not working. And that breeds frustration. And sadly, religion offers no answers, no good ones anyway, right? Why isn't this working? And some preacher tells him, well, God in his sovereignty chooses to do for some and not for others. Folks, I am not satisfied with that answer. It doesn't satisfy me on the inside. It doesn't satisfy my spirit. And other, others have said, well, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. It does for these and not for those. If that's the case, I quit. I'm done, man. I mean, what's the point? There's got to be more to it. And there is. Jesus is about to make it so abundantly clear to us. Let me tell you what the issue is. There's something going on in the heart. And when he talked about all these kinds of grounds, he was talking about different kinds of hearts. And he said, these are those who heard the word and didn't understand it. He said, that's like it being sown on that wayside, that hard packed ground where the seed couldn't penetrate. He said, that's not good ground. It can't reproduce. Well, if, if bad ground, for lack of a better word, is hard, what do you know about good ground? Soft. And we talked about that last week. Tender receptive. Uh, Jesus went on to say that um, the ones that were sown on stony ground where they didn't have much depth of earth, he said it sprang up. These are people who heard the word and received it with joy, he said. They got excited about it, but the problem was there was no depth. And where there was no depth, it didn't take root. And Jesus said as soon as some tribulation and persecution showed up, they got offended and they disconnected from it, and it produced nothing for them. He also said there was seed that got sown among thorns, and we talked all about how those thorns are the cares of this world. And the problem is, the word got sown, and that's good, but something else got in too. And I encourage you to go back, take a listen to all these things, and refresh yourself on it. But I want to go to Luke chapter 8, verse 15, and talk one more time about good ground. Somebody say good ground. Because that's what we desire to be, right? That's what we want to be. And by the grace of God, by the help of the Holy Spirit, we are good ground. I'm looking at some good dirt up in this church. Amen. That's what we want to be is good ground. Good ground. In Luke 8 verse 15, Jesus talks more about good ground and he said, the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word, with a noble and a good heart. Other translations say honest. So good ground is honest. And if you'll take time, just in one verse, Jesus is amazing to me. Just in one verse, he contrasts good ground with every other kind of ground. He talked about those who heard the word with an honest heart. That's different than a hard heart. Because if somebody will hear the word of God and be honest about it, they'll say, I need that. They'll say, I want that. They'll say, that's my answer. Honesty will receive the word. He said, those who heard it, uh, having heard the word with a, a noble and a good heart. So there you see good ground, good heart. This is what they do. They keep it. What did Proverbs chapter four say? Keep 
Keep my words in your heart. Keep your heart. Guard it. What's Jesus saying? This is good ground. The people that keep it, the people that guard it, the people that hear the word and hold on to it, the ones that hear the word and keep it, listen to these words, and bear fruit with patience. This is good ground. They bear fruit with patience. Now, if you look back through some of the things Jesus said in more than one or two places, he was big on fruit. He talked about it. He's talking about it here. He talked about it in John chapter 15. He said, my father's glorified when you bear much fruit. He said it over and over in John chapter 15, eight or nine times in just a few verses that you bear fruit, that you bear fruit, that you bear much fruit. You got to ask yourself, why is Jesus so emphatic about you and I bearing fruit? Well, think about the picture he's painting. If you walk up to a tree and it's got a bunch of fruit hanging off every limb, off every branch, whatever it is, if it's apples, you, you, you don't walk up to that tree and go, I wonder what kind of tree this is. You don't have to wonder, do you? You don't have to guess. You don't have to speculate. Why? There's fruit. The fruit is proof. The fruit hanging off every branch is proof. Proof of what? Proof that at some point a seed got sown, right? Now, maybe you weren't the one who sowed it. Maybe you weren't even there when it got sown. Maybe you weren't even born when it was sown. But the fruit is proof that a seed got sown. The fruit is proof that the seed took root. The fruit is proof that the seed began to grow and it sprouted up. The fruit is proof that time went by and this thing grew and it grew. The fruit is proof that there was so much life in those roots and up that vine that eventually that life overflowed and the fruit is proof of all of that. So now you can see why Jesus is so emphatic about you and I bearing fruit, bearing fruit, bearing fruit. Why? Because you're proof. You are the evidence. Have you ever heard anybody say, prove to me there's a God and I'll believe? Well, it's supposed to be you. You are supposed to be the proof. God is not opposed to proving it. Now, he doesn't do it the way everybody's asking for it. But he has put the seed of his word in the ground of your heart. Amen. And if it's good ground, then that seed will take root. It will sprout up and it will bear much fruit. And you and I will become living proof. There's a God. There is a God. That should be what your life declares with every breath you breathe. There is a God. With every word of grace and love and kindness that comes out of your mouth, there is a God. And hey, listen, a lot of people knew you before. They knew you before you knew Jesus. And now they know you after. And they're going, there's got to be a God. <laughs> there has got to be a God. You see that guy? He was the biggest jerk I'd ever known. Look at him now. Kind, tender-hearted, loving, gracious. He's a giver. There's got to be a God. Your life and mine is supposed to be proof, fruit, that there's a God. But not just that there is a God, but that he's a God of love and he's kind and he's gracious. And, and when the fruit of his spirit is it work in our life? That fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, all of it, proof. There's a God. There's a God and he loves me and he loves you. So you can see why Jesus is saying here again, good ground are those who heard the word, they keep it, they protect it, they guard it, and they bear fruit, but listen to this word, with patience, patience, patience. Part of good ground, you see in contrast to what Jesus said, those who heard it and it didn't have much earth, it didn't go down deep, it sprang up, they received it with joy and that's great, but when perse persecution and tribulation came, immediately they got offended, 
and they quit. Just back up a couple of verses and you see what he's talking about. Into verse 13, he said, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And that's a good response. That's the way you and I are supposed to receive the word. But he said, these have no root who believe for a while and in a time of temptation fall away. Um, it's Matthew's account. In verse 20, he said, he who received the seed on stony places, this is, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. You notice these two phrases, who believe for a while, they endure for a while. Contrast that with patience. Now we're gonna have to go to work right away undoing and rewiring the way we think about patience. You can tell because of how excited you got when I said <laughs> patience, patience. When people think of patience, immediately they think of waiting. I'm waiting. I'm, I'm being patient because I'm waiting. Well, there is a biblical waiting, but man, it is not what most people are talking about when they say, I'm waiting on God, just waiting on God. You could be waiting and patience have nothing to do with who and what you are at that time. Patience actually means, if you look it up, cheerful endurance. So when you think of patience, there's two words today I want to come to your mind right away. Endurance and expectation. Let's talk about endurance. Patience has less to do with waiting and more to do with the condition in which you wait. How you wait. Because like I said, you could be waiting. I'm waiting. Staring at your watch, tapping your foot, rolling your eyes, heavy sighing and breathing. Oh, I'm just waiting. This is not patient. This is not patient. And you could do this day after day, after year, after year, after decade, after decade, and there'd be no patience in it. Just because you're waiting doesn't mean you are patiently waiting. See, it has less to do with waiting and more to do with the condition in which you wait. Cheerful endurance. And Jesus said the problem with that stony ground is people hear it and they receive it with joy. That's my word. Glory to God. I believe that. Yes. Amen. But they endure. Do you notice he used that word? Endure only for a while. In Luke's account, he says they believe how long? Only for a while. And don't you love just how totally ambiguous Jesus made that? A while, a while. Okay, well, Jesus, how long am I supposed to believe? How long do I have to stand? How long do I have to be in faith? I've been in faith for a long time. How long is a while? A while is anything less than all the way to the end. You see that? So enduring only for a while means you endured short of the end. Didn't last all the way to the end. He said in the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 22, he said, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures, listen to these words, to the end will be saved. He who endures to the end will be saved. So how long is a while? It's anything short of the end. Uh, I'm going to show you this. It'll be more clear to you. Go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Good ground are those who hear the word, they keep it, and they bear fruit with patience. Patience. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 32. He says, recall the former days in which after you were illuminated. What's that mean? That's when the light came on. Illuminated. He's saying, go back to the beginning when the light first came on for you. Remember how excited you were about God and the things of God? And how changed you were when that light first came on? Because the light 
shows you things. The light reveals things. And maybe you had a, a wrong or a bad idea about who God was or a misconception, but the light of his love came on and you saw him for who he was and it, it brought change in life to you. And you got excited about it. He said, go back to those days. Go back to the former days when you were illuminated. After you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Verse 35, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. What's he having to tell them? Don't throw away your faith. Don't throw away your confidence. Go back to how excited when you heard the word and you received it with joy. And I know you've endured some things since then. I know there's been persecution. I know there's been tribulation. I know you faced pressure. But listen, go back to those days when you got excited about it and don't throw that away. Don't give up on it. Don't cast away your confidence because it has a great reward. And he says in verse 36, here's what you need. You ready for this? You have need of endurance. The King James Bible says you need patience. That's your word for today. Y'all all need patience. Thus saith the Lord. Y'all need patience. You need it. If the Bible says you need patience, help me out. What do you need? Patience. You need it. You want it. But do you see how it's translated? The same word translated patience is translated endurance. Endurance. So patience, again, is not just about uh, this, this passive waiting. It's about a cheerful endurance. For how long? How long? I heard it. To the end. To the end. How long you got to believe? To the end. How long you got to stand? To the end. And man, this, the, the, the culture we're in right now, the world we live in, does not help this, does it? We live in the age of instant gratification, instant satisfaction. Do you know how many people we'd have in this church if it was a drive through We could have thousands upon thousands of people if they could just drive up. I heard Brother Keith say that years ago. He, he, he was teaching in healing school and it was this day in, day out, uh, ministering to the sick. And he said, man, I'm convinced we could have a whole lot more people in here if we had a drive through If people could just drive up and we'd stick our hand out and say, be healed. And they received and they could just drive on. But that's not how the things of God work. Have you found that out yet? So the world we're living in does not lend itself towards what God's looking for from us. He's looking for some endurance. And the word of the Lord to us and to the entire body of Christ is y'all need patience. You need endurance. How long do we believe? To the end. How long do we stand? To the end. And you, you hear people say that, man I, man, I heard that word and I got excited about it, but man, I've been believing that for a long time and I hadn't seen it yet. What do I do? I'm so glad you asked because that is the easiest question to answer. What do you do if you're believing and you haven't seen it yet? Keep believing. Don't stop believing. And if you were a child of the 80s and listening to pop radio back then, it may sound like a song. I'm not talking about that. But it is a good word. Don't stop believing. You need some endurance. You know, the more I look at this, the more I realize this is what touches the heart of God. This is what impresses him most. People who not, don't just start stuff, stick with it. We need to develop some stick to if that's such a thing. Justice, our, our, our little boy, he's 11 now. But when he was probably two years old, three years old, I don't know what happened. At one point we told him, buddy, you're fast. You run really fast. You're the fastest boy in the world. He grabbed a hold of that 
And we've got video of this. You could ask Justice as a little two-year-old, what's your name? And he'd say, Justice James Pearson's fastest boy in the world. <laughs> what's your name, little boy? Justice James Pearson's fastest boy in the world. It became part of his identity and, and his fascination with running fast turned into, you know, a, 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 a like for fast cars and fast airplanes and fast, 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 fast. Everything to him was fast. And we talked a lot about fast stuff, but I was putting him to bed one night and I don't know where it came from other than the spirit of God. I began to talk to him, not just about this fascination with speed, but what about endurance? And I sat there and I pulled out my phone and, and, I, and I did a quick search. I was looking for somebody who had, who had displayed some endurance. I wanted him to get fascinated with not just starting something and going fast for a short amount of time, but let's start thinking about lasting long. Let's think about enduring a long time. You know, there's a man in the Bible named Enoch who we don't actually know a whole lot about. And yet he's in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of faith. You go back and look at all we know about him. It's, it's a few verses from the book of Genesis that says he walked with God. From the time I think he was 65 years old, the Bible says he begot these children and then he walked with God and he lived to be 365 years old, which says to me something happened when he had children. The same thing that happened to you and me, it revealed something to you more about God and his heart was drawn to God. And all we know about this dude is he went on a 300 year walk with God. That's a long walk. That's not around the block. That's a long walk. And evidently it so touched the heart of God that he put him in Hebrews chapter 11. And it's because of Enoch's life that the Bible says he pleased God, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. That his life is the reason that verse exists. And all we know that he did was go for a long walk. A long walk. I heard somebody say one time, he, he went on such a long walk that God finally looked at him and said, well, we're closer to my house than we are yours. Why don't you just come over? And he was no more. It touches the heart of God. Not just people who start something, people who endure. I'm sitting there in, in bed with Justice. He's a little boy. And I just happened to come across this guy. Now, if I were to ask you to name one of the world's fastest men, right? You just think back a couple of Olympics ago, whatever it was, and, and all these world records were being broken. And I bet, I bet anybody in here could name one of the world's fastest men. Usain Bolt, I think I heard it over here. Do I have any Dean Carnazes fans in the house? Can I see all the hands of Dean Carnazes fans? You ever heard of Dean? No, I hadn't either, but listen to what I found out about this guy. Here's a man named Dean Carnazes. He's an endurance runner. And this is just a few of the things he's done. He ran 350 miles in 80 hours and 44 minutes without sleep. He also ran a marathon to the South Pole in negative 13 degrees without snowshoes. This guy also, now I, I had a fact about him wrong. I had been saying he ran seven marathons in seven states in seven days. I was wrong. What he actually did, I read this, he ran a marathon in each of the 50 states in 50 consecutive days. 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 consecutive days. Once he also ran 148 miles in 24 hours on a treadmill. That's boring, man. <laughs> but he did it. This is one of my favorite ones. He ran 3,000 miles across the United States from Disneyland in California to New York City in 75 days, running 40 to 50 miles a day. Endurance. Endurance. Now I can start a marathon. You could too. I could start one right now. I could, I could start one right now. Finishing one on the other hand is a totally different story. God, I believe is touched and the heart of God is touched by endurance. 
Hebrews chapter 10. What did he say? Verse 36, you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while. And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But verse 39, we are not of those who draw back. You know what he's saying? We don't quit. We don't quit. We are not of those who quit. That's not us. We don't just start living by faith. We keep living by faith. Now you're here in the book of Hebrews. Let me read this, finish reading this to you. And then we'll back up a couple of chapters. We're not of those who draw back to perdition. We're of those who believe to the saving of the soul. What's he saying? We believe all the way to the end, not just for a little while, all the way to the end. Back up to, oh, help me, Lord. Look at Hebrews chapter six. So many scriptures, so little time. <laughs> Hebrews chapter six in verse 10. The Bible says, God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope. When? How? Unto the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and now notice that phrase right there, faith and faith and. And this is something faith people need to hear. And I believe that's who and what we are, faith people. But sometimes we, we need to be reminded that it's faith and. Faith and, he said, patience. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now here's the example he uses, verse 13. When God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Notice what he said, saying, surely... Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. After, after. You see, Abraham is noted as our father of faith. And he was and is a man of faith. We know this from Romans chapter four. He believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And that's what his whole life is about, believing God. God shows up and speaks to this man. And as far as I know, it was his first introduction to him. Genesis, I think, chapter 12. And he speaks to him and says, Abram, Get thee out of thy father's house and away from thy father's people. Now, folks, the man was 70 years old. Let's be honest. It was time. You got to get out of daddy's house, man. And I'm sure nobody was happier that Abram got that word than daddy. Get out of the house. Step out. But when God spoke to him, get out of your father's house. You know what he said? Okay. And he believed God. And God spoke to him time after time after time and said some pretty uh, amazing things to him, challenging things to him. But at every turn, Abraham believed and every turn he said, okay. And every time he, he submitted and he yielded to the plan of God. And this is called faith. And that is what faith is. But one of the things that stands out about Abraham's life more than anything else is not just his faith. You see it here in these verses. It's his faith and patience. Patience. Do you think about the patience that was required? God speaks to this man and said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And, you know, a decade later, do you know the, the patience it took to stand, to keep believing day after day after day? It wasn't just his faith. It was his faith and his patience. Faith is believing. Patience is the refusal to quit believing. Faith is believing. Patience is continuing to believe. Faith is getting excited about it here and now. Patience is believing Monday, Tuesday, next week, 
next month, next year. Man, how long I got to stand? Come on, help me out. How long do you have to stand? Till the end. That's how long. I don't know. You wish you had, you know, a day and time that you could be pressing towards. And we have tried it, haven't we? I'm believing God that in the next 30 days, I'll have this and I'll be that and I'll be here. And you put these time things on God. But what happens when 30 days comes and go, where's your faith? Hmm? Be honest. Have you ever put a, a time stamp on it? Have you ever required something of God in a certain amount of time? One of the things Sarah and I have realized as we've traveled the last 10 years in ministry, whether it's inside the United States or into other places around the world, when we land in a place, we have to change our clock. If we go one direction, we set the clock forward. If we go another direction, we set the clock back. Now, how silly would it be for me to fly to Europe, get off the plane, and say, I'm an American. I don't care what time y'all say it is. In America, this is what time it is. It's two o'clock in America, and bless God, I'm an American, so it's two o'clock here. It's ignorance, it's pride, it's foolishness, right? And you ain't about to get anything done. When you step into another place, another environment, check it out, another kingdom. Adjust your clock. Humility will adjust its clock. How silly would it be to roll up into Africa and be like, yeah, I know y'all said it's 8.30, but I'm an American, bless God. No, you don't, you don't expect everybody else in their kingdom to change their clock to your timing. Do you know what patience is? It's adjusting your clock. You're in the kingdom of God now. And yeah, I wish you could just as easily, you know, reach down here and move the hands. That, but, but listen, it's adjusting your clock to kingdom standard time, which is most often later than you want it to be. But this is patience. Believing to the end. Believing till you see it. When I was in um, probably around fifth grade, sixth grade, you may have heard me tell the story before. My class was doing science projects. The teacher told everybody, it's time to do a science project. You go and do some research and, and you come up with the project. And um, I grew up in what I have called before the household of faith. And I found out that year that in the house of faith, we do science different. And my mom helped me come up with this science fair project. And this is what, this was what we decided to do. We were going to take two plants, two little household plants. And my hypothesis was I can feed these plants the same, water these plants the same, give them equal sunlight. But the difference is I'm going to speak blessing over one plant and cursing over another. We do science different, don't we? And so that was our hypothesis. And we stated that the one that I declared blessing and good things over, it would grow and it would flourish. The other would, would begin to die. And so this is the kind of stuff I've grown up on my entire life. Your words matter. It, 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 there's life and death in the power of your tongue. And now we're going to try it on these plants. So we did. And my dad to this day has all this documented. There's a little picture, a Polaroid of me looking at one plant all nice and sweet. And I wrote out this confession over, you are blessed. You're thriving and flourishing. You're strong. You're growing big and healthy. And then there's another picture where I'm looking at another plant with a scowl and, and you're, you're, you're no good. Nobody loves you. I don't remember what it said, but you're dying and withering away. So every day, I would go sit and talk to these plants and I would read this confession, this good blessing over one and this cursing over another one. And I did it day after day after day. And a few weeks into the project, there's no difference. They look exactly the same. They're both getting the same light and water and food. 
The only difference is the words, and yet there's no difference. They look identical to each other. And I remember going into my mom. I'm like, Mom, this project is due in just a couple of weeks, and it's not working. It's not working. And she goes, yes, it is. And I'm like, no, it's not. Look, it's not working. Jeremy, yes, it is. No, it's not. Uh-uh, it's not working. They look the same. And she's like, Jeremy, yes, it is. Now, in her version of the story, I started crying. <laughs> it's not working. It's not working. I got to turn this project in, and I'm going to fail because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And she goes, Jeremy, yes, it is. And she said she saw it. Like a light bulb, I got illuminated. And I was like, oh, you're speaking by faith. It's working. See, what was the problem? I had been in faith, but only for a while. And when it didn't look like it was working, what did I need? Patience. It wasn't just going to be faith that manifested the results here. It was going to be faith and faith and patience. And the rest of the story is that over the next couple of weeks, stayed with the confession. One plant stayed strong and healthy. And sure enough, this other one began to wither. The leaves began to turn yellow. And you could see a visible, notable difference. I got a first place ribbon, went on to the next whatever level of sixth grade science project is, and, and did well there too. The, the rest of the rest of the story is I brought those plants home. And mom said she intended to kind of keep them around, but they ended up on a shelf, kind of out of the way, definitely no sunlight or anything. She forgot about them for weeks or months. She said she came across those plants. I think she said it was six or eight weeks later. There was one after having no food, no water. I mean, there was one that was dead and gone. There was one that was still alive. Living on the faith of a sixth grader. <laughs> We do science a little different in the house, don't we? But the point of it was it required faith and believing all the way to the end. Faith is believing. I know we got a lot of believers, a lot of people excited about it. A lot of people believe the word of God, but for how long? Huh? Will you stand to the end? That's how Abraham inherited the promise, stood all the way to the end. Thank you, Father. Ephesians chapter six, or, we, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter six. When God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely, blessing I will bless you, multiplying I'll multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. First Peter chapter five, verse 10 says this, may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. He said, these things don't happen immediately. This is after a while. Go to James chapter one and we'll begin to wrap it up. James chapter one, this is familiar to you. James chapter one, verse two says, my brethren, count it all joy. When? When you fall into various trials, count it all joy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And this word various, it's an interesting word. When you look it up, it literally means variegated. In other words, random, random, no rhyme, no reason. You ever had one of those days? Everything started off fine, but man, as soon as you got out the door, it just seemed like one thing after another was falling apart and the whole world started turning against you. And it's like, this is going wrong and that's falling through and now the dog bit me and I'm late on this bill and one thing after another. He said, when you fall into the middle of trials that are so random, you don't know where it came from and you certainly don't know how to get out of it, what do you do? Count it all joy. Woo! Praise God. <sighs> Where's that joy come from though? Verse three, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 
Verse four, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Say that last part with me. Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Say it again. Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I'm talking about you. Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You. We're painting a picture of you here. Perfect, complete, lacking nothing. See, the devil has worked overtime to get these little words and phrases into our mouths and we say them without even thinking about it. Nobody's perfect. You get in a fight with somebody and your first defense is, well, nobody's perfect. First of all, that's not true. Jesus is. Okay, well, Jesus is. But listen to me. The Spirit of God is trying to paint a picture of you. Perfect. Complete. Lacking nothing. The problem is we've got this misconception of what perfect actually means. When the scripture talks about perfect, he's not talking about flawless. He's talking about fully developed, mature, complete. And he said, that's what patience produces. Patience makes perfect. Patience makes complete. And there's no way to arrive at perfected, established, strengthened, settled. There's no way to arrive at perfect, complete, lacking nothing without patience. It doesn't happen just because you heard the word today and got excited about it. You got to not just believe it. You got to keep believing it. You got to refuse to quit believing it. And pressure's coming. Tribulation's coming to talk you out of that word. But for those who will believe, how long? to the end, will come out on the other side, perfected, established, strengthened, settled. They'll come out perfect, complete, lacking nothing. And you can see that he's talking about being fully grown, fully matured through patience. All you have to do is think about your own children. Have you noticed that patience is not one of their leading characteristics, one of their leading qualities? Over the last week or so, Sarah and I took the kids away. We had a little vacation together and we were day after day at the hotel pool. And I noted how many times I watched parents stand at the edge of the pool saying, get out, get out. Come on. It's time to go. Get out. I don't want to get out. I'm not done. No, I can't hear you. There's literally one kid that said, I can't hear you. And the dad said, yes, you can. You responded to me. Do you know that one of the things that most defines God above anything else is his patience? The Bible says that love is two things, patient and kind. This is, when you're talking about patience, you're talking about who God is. The stuff he's put up with, with kids. And I watched kids, there was two types of kids. There was just the outright disobedient. Then there was this other one. And I, 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 I feel like I'm going to preach a message on this one day. You've got the disobedient and you've got the slow-bedient. <laughs> Disobedience, slow-bedience. They both require patience. This is the kind of stuff that God has been patient with us about. Our slow obedience, slow to obey, right? Oh, I didn't hear you. I didn't. Yes, you did. But this is who he is, patient with us, kind. We were also reading this on our little trip. We did a devotion one morning and I was reading, I think it was the 103rd Psalm. He is slow to anger. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad he is slow to anger? That same force is in you right now. That's what patience is. It's a force, the ability to endure and to stay with it. That's in you because the seed of the spirit has been sown into you and the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. That's in you right now. That's that slow to get angry thing. That's in you right now. That can be you. That can be me. Thank you, Lord. Now he said here, patience, you have to let it have its perfect work in you. Let endurance have its perfect work, making you perfect, complete and lacking nothing. Hebrews chapter 12 says, go ahead, guys. He said, 
In verse one, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance. Not just starting the race, finishing it. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do it? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's your example. The, the, the perfect man. What's he saying? Look at him. Do what he did, and it'll perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, settle you. You'll be complete. You'll be perfect. You'll be lacking nothing. What did he do? He endured the cross despising the shame. And he did it not by looking at what was going on right then around him, by looking at the joy that was set before him. You were that joy. I was that joy. And it was pulling him through it. He endured the cross. Endurance, when you look at it, just naturally speaking, it's a part of your, your physical fitness. It's not just about strength. It's about how long can you last? How long can you resist under pressure? And the psalmist said it like this. He said, I would have lost heart. Put that on the screen for us. Psalm 27, 13. He said, I would have lost heart unless, unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have lost heart. I'd have quit. That's what that means. I would have quit. I would have thrown in the towel. I would have been done a long time ago unless I had believed to see something. Now, there's a lot of people on the verge of quitting and they're saying, if I don't see change, I'm done. If I don't see a change in this marriage, I'm done. If I don't see promotion on this job, I'm done. If I don't see change and things getting better around me, I'm out of here. I quit. If I don't see change in this church, I'm finding a new one. But what did the psalmist say? It wasn't seeing the change that kept him in the fight. It was believing to see it. That's what makes us different from everybody else. So don't stand at the edge of quitting the marriage and say, if I don't see change in them, I'm done. Do this. I'm believing to see change. I'm believing to see it in me. I'm believing to see change in this house. I'm believing to see change on this job. And you let faith and patience sustain you all the way. How long? How long do I got to do this? Huh? To the end till it shows up. And if you haven't seen it yet, what do you do? Keep believing. Don't stop believing. He said, I would have lost heart if I hadn't believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Now look at the next verse. What's that word? Wait, wait. So I told you there's two words that you need to think of when you think patience, endurance and expectation. That's what this word means. So when people say I'm waiting on God, I'm waiting on God, just waiting on God. They're not talking about a biblical waiting. If you are actually waiting on God, what you're saying is I am expecting. I'm expecting to see change. I'm expecting it to show up. I'm expecting the goodness of God right here and now in the land of the living. I'm expecting days of heaven on earth in this marriage. I'm expecting peace in this house. I'm expecting promotion on this job. I'm expecting it. Well, what if it doesn't happen tomorrow? It's all right. Still expecting it. What if it doesn't come next week? I'm still expecting it. And it's your believing, your expectation, and your endurance that sustains you all the way to the end. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And watch what's going to happen. He will strengthen your heart. There's where your endurance comes from. Out of your strong heart. So guard your heart. Don't let impatience in. I'm not looking at a room full of quitters, am I? We are not of those who draw back. We are of those who believe to the end. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, 
there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.